Blog Talk Radio. Good now, everybody. Happy this moment. You are listening to Divine Explorations with Jody Doty on the Positive uh, Transformation Network. Today, I am so excited to have uh, my friend, Marion Stenseth Evans, on the show. And um, this is also uh, domestic violence uh, awareness. I don't know the exact title, Awareness Month. And Marion has an amazing uh, journey that she's taken, amazing story to, to share. It has many... Many lowlights, but many, many highlights. And she, uh, like I said in my um, intro on the link, she is a force to be reckoned with. Now, I think it's rather ironic that we're in the middle of a big uh, typhoon windstorm here in the Pacific Northwest where we both live. So uh, I think it's appropriate that uh, <laughs> that Marion, the force, the force that she is, is here with us. Um, and blowing into my show, so because she is just such an amazing person and has been through mu- so much and is so resilient and inspirational, I just find her amazing. And I read her story again. She's writing, she's writing uh, or sharing her story in um, uh, a book called "The Journey from Surviving to Thriving" that's going to be out hopefully soon. Um, and Oh my goodness! I just can't. Um, I, I can't say how much uh, she has she has come from. You know what she started with, and and how she has kept her spirit, and is she she's soaring now. She's just amazingly blooming at what seventy one. So anyway, with that long introduction, <laughs> Marion, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jody, and I want to thank you for inviting me on it. It is, this is real privilege. I'm so I never thrilled thought, to have I, you. I never thought from the first time I called you when I was still in the trenches that it would end up to this. It's amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. Okay, well, <laughs> I I also want to tell the viewers this is this is also a call-in show. Um, because, and I think when you hear parts of Marion's story, and also I've increased the time in case we go over and you want to share your story or you have questions for Marion, um, the, the call-in number is 1-646-716-9645. So, um, you know, but first, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> A very good place to start, as they say. Um, so well, tell I, us about your story. <laughs> okay, I came, I came from the country. I was a little Day Creek girl, lived outside of Cedra Woolley, and... Um, I was a surprise to the family, and so uh, my sister was seven years older than me, and they had a 120-acre farm with 6,000 chickens, <laughs> and so I was raised in a chicken coop on Hank Williams, and I'm sure since the womb with my mom, and my dad, he was an alcoholic before I was born, so I didn't know him sober a day of my life, and he pretty much dismissed me, and... Um, when I was, uh, well, after after second grade, we sold the farm. We went into cows and milking. We had a fire where 4,000 chickens burned. Can't eat chicken to this day. And, oh, uh, no. Oh, you smell that. I was three or four, and I can't even go by a Kentucky colonel without, you know, having a physical reaction. Oh, I bet. And 
So uh, we moved into town, and uh, my mom didn't know anyone there, you know, and we were with aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone up in Day Creek. It was just a one-room schoolhouse with three, three classes. And um, I love, I have great memories of there, but I do remember my mom tucking me under her arm and running through the woods to my aunt's house, who was my godmother, because of my dad terrorizing her. Well, she ended up having a nervous breakdown and when he divorced her, and uh, he talked her into signing herself into Northern State Hospital. And in 2011, I was a contributor on... Uh, M.J. McLaughlin's book, Under the Red Roof, uh, concerning going to visit my mother there. And the kids, and I was moved. He remarried immediately on the 31st of December to get the tax break. <laughs> and I was left home. Well, he was, during this three-month period uh, when I was seven, seven and a half, I was left home alone. No one came home. And so... Um, I made sure I went to school on time. Um, I made sure I changed into my playing play clothes. And after I watched the Mickey Mouse Club, I would go visit my play friends in the neighborhood and see what their mama was cooking for dinner. And back in the 50s, everybody sat down at the same time for dinner and all the scraps went out to the dogs. They didn't have dog food like they do now. And um, the dogs let me pick. Uh, I would pick which neighbor and what I wanted for dinner, and that's where I'd hang out, and the uh, dogs would let me know, and they'd let me pick first, and that's how I survived. And then school let out, and I was still by myself, so I was still scared. So I registered for a Bible class. I wouldn't, I would have something to do and not be obvious. And You registered first. by yourself at seven for a Bible class? I forged their name. Wow. How long did this period last where you were abandoned, basically, on your own by yourself? Three months. And then one of my mom's aunts in Monroe kept calling for a moment. If I answered the phone, I'd always make an excuse because in those days, you know, it's the old-type phone. You don't know who's calling. (laughs) And uh, I always made up an excuse, and she got suspicious and reported it to the CPA and they came and got a hold of my dad, who worked in Cedro Woolley, but he was living with my first stepmother in Anacortes already. And he never just, checked on you? No, no. I would go up to the, when school was in, I would go up to the lunch line and hope I would get the pass through, but I never, that fear that grows in you when you're a child, you don't, you know, we were taught to respect our elders and to speak when spoken to And to be seen and not heard. Okay, that was my generation, and that's what they knew. And so he must have paid my school lunches ahead, so I would have that food. But that's about all I could think he did. (laughs) And I went, and I stayed there a couple years. I transferred to Anacortes. Still have great girlfriends from there, from the fourth, fifth grade through high school and stuff, uh, still in contact. And just wonderful. And uh, yeah. but I had to sleep on the couch for a couple of years, and then they made me a cubbyhole bedroom. And uh, my stepbrother was 15 years older than me, and so when my mom and dad, when they got divorced, uh, she talked 
my mom and that she was 14, she got married so she wouldn't have to have a stepbrother. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was gone. And so uh, my one girlfriend, Kathy, uh, she'd go with me to Northern State to visit mom because we'd always meet up at the soda shop and I'd make sure I earned money so she could, you know, I could treat her and she could buy a pack of cigarettes. And How and how'd you make I, money? I ironed shirts, I mowed lawn, I did anything. You you want your house clean, I'll, I can do anything. I've been on my own since I was seven. Wow. Um, you know, um, no, I'm, I don't have a wishbone, I have a backbone. I think <laughs> I don't regret any of that because it made me who I am today. So I would take nothing back because this right. is my journey. This is where I... Finally, at 71, I have enough 2020 vision that I can look back and rationalize and not be emotional about it and understand it. Wow. That's the difference. You and know, that's amazing and, uh, because you could, stay, you could have stayed in that better place um, feeling abandoned and, and just give up. And oh, yet, I could have I went on the pity party. I was told I'd always be a welfare unwed mother. And I and my motto is watch me. I'm gonna say I'm a stand up and deal kind of gal, and and where there everything in life is a blessing or a lesson. But be grateful for both because the lesson could be a blessing in disguise. That has happened to me, and that's where I get have a backbone and not a wishbone. Don't wish your life away. Live it. Right. Nobody guarantees you a rose garden, and even they have thorns. <laughs> There's always thorns, but you know, you have more than more than many. <laughs> so I mean, you really had to had to deal with so much, and then well, I have, you know, I have such strong faith. I ask God in each one, "What am I supposed to learn from this?" And I always ask Him to keep me sick. He's been the best man in my life. He's always been <laughs> you know. with me. Oh, thank thank God for that. Yes. Wow. So, okay, so we are now, you're in uh, fourth grade, fifth grade. What? Take me. He didn't molest me until I was in the seventh and a half grade. Then then my dad and stepmom were at a church function in the evening when they did it, and he couldn't penetrate me, so he stuck it down my mouth. So, of course, I was in my room crying all night, and my dad yanked me out of bed in the morning and started drilling, and I was afraid to tell. They got him up. He said, yep, this is what I did, and it's time for her to go, and I got moved out that day. didn't get to say any goodbye to any of my friends. I was just one of those people that would just disappear and reappear, like a bad penny always returns. <laughs> oh, man. And so really no stability. Um, I mean, you no, never knew. And No, and um, when at eight and a half grade I had to, my sister remarried her ex-husband, and um, he was an abuser, but they stayed married 66 years, and she just recently died a year ago. Um, and um, she's always told me my whole life, you got to be strong on this. You've got to be strong. And I don't, and on every little picture I see from the old days, I'm always hanging on to her coattail. Oh. You know, I got my hand on her shirt or something. So I think I get my strength a lot from her. 
Yeah. Um, and that um, he rolled back there, and I just did what I needed to do to survive. And when I went back to Anacortes after being at my sister's, being sent away, I went, I earned money, and, and I had a girlfriend that had her license that was 16, and I paid her to drive me to Mount Vernon and read the my mom and dad's court papers, asked to talk to the CPS worker. I was all packed and ready to go in an orphanage. Wow. You know, and they sent me back home, and, and on, before Christmas, when I was 12, um, I just turned 12, they sent me to my foster parents, who were two teachers in Anacortes, Anne Green and Erwin Knapp, and Erwin just died this, this last month. He was 89, and such a wonderful father figure. So up until 12, I was on real quicksand. There was no stability at all. The only thing I had to hold on to was God and myself and Jesus. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a pause here, put you on hold for just a minute with the, your story because we have a caller, and I'm just gonna go ahead and take this call, and then we'll hold that thought. We'll get we'll pick it back up from there after the call. Okay. Hi, uh, caller. You're on the line uh, with Jody Doty and Marion Stensis Evans. Hey, Jody. It's uh, and Marion. It's Dave Daly, the Monster Motivator. How are you guys? Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I uh, I can't hear that story enough. It get, talk about inspiration. I um, and we affectionately call her our uh, Monster Moderator. Um, uh, she's with us on Monster, Monster Motivator TV. Um, but you know, I just want to, I just want to, uh, say something, you know, when I first heard Marion's story on another podcast that I was actually on that she called on, you know, it just, um, I don't know, it just hit me because I speak about, you know, uh, bullying and, and stepping up to the bully and, and getting your lunch money back in another way, obviously through, um, uh, you know, through fear barriers, but, uh, but if, if right. anybody's looking for real life, real world inspiration coming from the real world, Marion's the one you want to talk to because, um, because it's just so real and it happens over and over and over again. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate and maybe they just don't know how to uh, get out of it. So um, that's what I love about Marion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. But David, it's so long. <laughs> Yeah, you what? It took me so long. <laughs> yeah, but but you did, you did, and see a I lot of people it. don't. Yes, I did, and I switched it from seventy-one to seventeen. <laughs> that a, that a you girl. You flip the numbers. Oh, you I do. Did. I'm that, a flipper. I'm a flipper. A, and <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's just uh, it's a it's an awesome, amazing story that a lot of people need to hear. Um, so, uh, I'm excited. I know you have some other things going on and I'm excited to see how they all unfold, but I wanted to, uh, just wanted to call in and, and, uh, and let the people know that, you know, this is real world. This is real life stuff and, and it can be done. You can beat the bully. Um, don't think that you can't. So, uh, you're living proof, Marion, that, um, that you could do it. Hey, Dave, one story. When I was home alone, it was seven and a half, right? I had my bike under, I used to like to climb trees, 
little boy was underneath, didn't know I was up in the tree, and he was stomping out all my spokes. I jumped out of that tree and kicked the you-know-what out of him. Not a girl. Not a girl. <laughs> Not a girl. My bike was already broke. I might as well break him. He made me mad. Absolutely. Absolutely, Marion. And I lo- here's what I love about that story. You can keep all the politically correct statements and make it sound so nice and so pretty, but the real world is the only way to stop a bully is to step up and get your lunch money back. And if there's any other way, show me, because that's all I've that, – that's how you do it. Exactly you're living proof of the real world and, and, and the real word that people are looking for. So that's what I love about you, Marion. Well, he never messed with me again. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Isn't that, it, I am. See how that works? <laughs> yeah, it worked out great for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, and 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 you know, if you didn't, he would have done it all over again. So oh, yeah. it's Absolutely. just it's it's real. It's just real. So um, and I'm so excited to uh, to have you on our team. So um, uh, I'm looking forward to we'll have some shows next week, and I'll keep you posted. Okay, yeah. thanks for calling in, Dave. Hey, thanks, uh-huh. Thank Dave. You. Yeah, I think she's a fabulous, fabulous addition to your show. She just uh, brings a lot of high energy, and you know that's hard to do to keep up with you. But she, but she does it. She's oh, she's a star. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no question. She's a star in the making. And what I love about it is just a win-win. I I needed somebody that that could be in her position to do that, and uh, and she was looking for some other things to do. So in my book, that's a win-win. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, ladies, have a great weekend. You you too, Dave. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye now. So if if people aren't aware, Dave, just let us know. uh, Marion has a very new stint that she's doing on Dave's show. And and Marion, tell tell us just a little bit about that. Well, what I do is uh, I'm the monster... um, I'm a monster moderator for all the comments that come into his show where people give shout-outs or ask questions, and I can see them uh, on his page, and then he'll break from his interview, and I shout those out so that the people get acknowledged that are watching the show. It's really fun. I get to, you know, uh, hear the whole interview, very interesting guests, people I would never get to contact in contact with in my life. It's only through you and Dave and Kelly that I've been able to progress and and have a real voice that is out loud. Out loud and and sharing with so many people. And that's, you know, it's your story and your voice makes such a difference because Dave's right, you know. Uh, This is the real world. These experiences are... um, not sugar-coated. They're not things that are kind of swept under the carpet. You're sharing your story. You're sharing it in, in all of its raw vulnerability. I know you're going to be sharing it in the book when the book comes out. And, wow, as tough as it is, and you're a pretty tough lady, it's so um, inspiring to see how you've come out of this and kept your spirit. I mean, seven years old, left totally abandoned, sharing your dinner with um, the neighbor dogs, you know, years of abuse. So we're going to pick your story back up again, and um, I'll let you you go from from where you were before the call, if you remember where that was. 
Yes, I do. Um, it was where the social worker was taking me to my foster parents, and they had three small children. And uh, 15 and a half, I'd been engaged to quote um, my daughter's father for a year, and um, his dad had spider cancer and had to go back to Michigan. So I was had been such a good girl all my life, I was not made a ward of the court. And um, so... Uh, we lied to my father and told him I was pregnant. My mother-in-law was like a mother to me, and I married Susan's father to, for his mother. That's why I married. I, I finally wanted, because she treated me like her daughter. She always wanted one, and I was it. I could do no wrong. What time did you, uh, how old were you when you got married? Fifteen and a half. We got married in August, and I turned 16 in October. So, and two weeks after we married, we went back to Michigan. We were the first couple to go to school together that were married. Uh, he graduated in 62. I graduated early in 63. And then he went in the Navy after he got graduated because he wouldn't get a job. But he was the first one that actually physically beat me and would take guns and put them in every orifice there was with my daughter in the room after she was born and he was messing with every I couldn't live near base because he was too active he didn't want a wife where he was doing his business and so I lived out in Munford I even had the KKK come visit me I was a Yankee and didn't know better and well that's a whole story it's that, yeah, that's no. a, that's a whole whole another chapter in itself. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I was seventeen, and so I packed up the U-Haul, and he got orders to go to sea school in San Diego. So for a few days, we stayed in Memphis with friends of his from base. And the last night, he tried to trade me, you know, swap wise. Well, that wasn't happening. I wasn't even having anything to do with him. And <laughs> he tried to. He wait a minute. He tried to trade you. Yeah, swap. he takes swap. Yeah, swipe up. Yeah, I guess that's what they do in the army, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I was, I was seventeen, and uh, I hadn't gotten pregnant, and I finished school. And excuse me, I'm stupid is not written on my forehead. And so <laughs> I grabbed the keys and ran out and took a car and drove up to Elvis Presley's estate, hopped the fence. Remember, I was seventeen. Sat on the grass. I didn't try to go to the house. Just sat on the grass by the fence, crying and picking grass. And the security guard came out and talked to me and said, well, Elvis was making a movie in California, or he would definitely let me in the house. So he told me to go to this church and that was open all night, and I would be safe there. Well... Um, my ex didn't know I was down on Bill Street when he was had his weekend doing uh, at base partying with the music. I, I wasn't old enough to go in, but me and the boys sure taught lot me how to dance down there. The brothers know how, and they watched my car for me. And uh, so, you know, I had a really when I was by myself, I had a really good time and a great imagination. I mean, and so. <laughs> I, I still have that grass from Elvis's yard, and I have the first street sign that was ever posted on his street, the old one. On Elvis's street. Elvis. Hmm. 
Yeah, I have collected Elvis stuff since the early 60s. Yeah, my whole kitchen is Elvis. I can't help wow. it. Wow. Well, and, pretty amazing. And so then I uh, pulled up to the house. He was out the next day, hooked up the trailer, the little U-Haul, and said, you're going to get your ass in the car. I'm pulling out. Excuse my <laughs> language. And so he did, and uh, we made it. I uh, stopped in California and saw his mother and their great-grandparents, and then he brought me back up to Washington, and uh, my dad had a camper set up, and he was married to a different one this time, and I was allowed to go in to shower, but that's all. Otherwise, I lived in the camper, and uh, he raped me the night before he left, and of course, I didn't have my normal protection because we hadn't been doing anything, so... Take him to the bus station next day to go down to San Diego to see school, and I applied for jobs on the way home to see the Woolley, and they called before I got home, and yes, I started the next day as the Woolworths counter girl, loved it, but I didn't have my monthly visitor, so I knew I was pregnant, so I didn't tell anyone, and the next thing I know, my mother-in-law is moving back up here, getting the same apartment. And we're going to be roommates. And, of course, when her son is stationed at Whidbey Island, comes to visit his mother, and there I am. So, again, I felt like I had no choice. So right. we stayed together until he, until my daughter was six weeks old. They showed up again because, God forbid, I should stay at home with my daughter on my own and have a life. Right. And so I had to load up and still pay rent and utilities, and go move to California for the six months he was in Okinawa. During that time, his brother and his, and his wife were my maid of honor and my best man, and so they came to take me out to dinner in California because they were stationed in Alameda on my anniversary. Yeah. And they told me that my husband was living with another woman and probably having another baby come along. So I yeah. made the move. I didn't tell anybody, and I went to some friends of mine and told me, and I quietly moved out of my mother-in-law's place and was a nanny housekeeper incognito until he got back from Okinawa, and I met him at the plane so he could see his daughter and tell him in person uh, that I'm divorcing you. I have let the house go and chipped everything, and your things are where I had put them. I didn't take anything of his. And instead, he almost killed me that night, went back to the house, got the house back, nailed it shut, went, tried to get to the train station before it left. I was so glad that train had pulled out before him. The stuff was gone. Well, while he was gone, he had nailed every window shut, the door shut, everything. So I just broke out the big window, got my daughter. And so he, wait a minute, so he, he, Trapped you in the house, basically nailing everything shut so you couldn't get out? Right. Like there's wow. not a window I can break? How dumb are you? Or yeah. how dumb do you think I am? <laughs> I mean, arrogant. And wow. so I broke out. Um, there was nothing in the house because I'd shipped everything and give it right. up. And so I just took the bottom of my suitcase and took the biggest window and knocked it out, knocked all the glass out, got my daughter out, got the suitcases out, went next door, and she was aware of what had been happening, an older lady. I said, I need to use your phone. 
I called my stepbrother, the one who molested me, and said, you owe me. Get me to the airport right now. And he did. And my daughter's father said he would have caught us, but he had a flat tire, but I don't believe that. But he went AWOL and found me in California, and um, I wouldn't take Susan with us, but I agreed to go talk to him about the details of the divorce. And that was a mistake because I was taken up on top of a mountain and raped and left naked and blah, blah, blah. Walked down off the mountain, got to a house. They gave, I covered up with leaves. Uh, I really am a modest person. And yeah. uh, they gave me clothes to put on. And then he got arrested and went in the brig for a long time. And then I flew up for the second divorce proceeding. And he was in the Navy hospital in Whidbey Island with the mumps had gone down on him. So my dad drove me over there with my daughter so he could see his daughter. Um, and so uh, driving back, my dad was so drunk, he was scraping the rocks on the side by Deception Pass coming down. Oh, my. I know Deception and, Pass. That's that's very scary. Yeah. And so you, you, you know, kind of reunited with your dad a little bit just for that or... For two days, I was going to be here. Go divorce and fly back. Yeah. And so there was no divorce proceeding to go to the next day. And he said, well, you have to let him see his daughter. So mm-hmm. I said, fine, we'll go. And um, then when he was great, and my daughter was in the car. And he'd missed the turn and gone. He said, no problem, dip down through this gully. There were no car seats in those days, okay? And uh, so when I'm coming back, he must have had a few more tips while he, we were there. It was worse. And so I quietly reached over and turned the car off, took the keys and said, get out. And I used some choice words. I'm <laughs> driving. Yeah. And so we kind of had it out right there alongside the road uh, with my daughter sitting in the car going, huh, you know. How old was your daughter? My daughter was two by this time. Wow. And she goes, Mommy, you don't yell. And I go, see, this man, I do. You either get in the car or get left on the roadside. Get in the car. And my daughter looked at him and goes, she means it. (laughs) And so he got in. I drove home. We never said another word to each other. Then I'm working after I get back. uh, Jerry and Glenn got me on my feet in a little apartment and got a job at a donut shop. And I see my father's camper out in front. He won't come in the shop. So I walk out to the camper and knock on the door. And I go, what are you doing here? He goes, well... Uh, your sister and mother-in-law and trying to take your daughter away from you. And I said, what for? There's no reason. And, well, they sent me here because you're my kid. And I said, I thought I wasn't your kid. I said, why are you concerning yourself with this? And so um, he, uh, you know, I got no child support. I worked two jobs to support us. So he took us to the, followed us to the daycare to a block from my house, checked it out, got Susan, went to my apartment. He opened every cover of the refrigerator. It was all had food in it. It was all clean. 
Nothing yeah. was, there was no, re- they couldn't have a reason to send anybody there. Yeah. It was like schools. And so um, they, you know, I then went and uh, I uh, ended up getting married to a guy 11 years older than me because he had four kids and I always wanted a big family and and uh, he would beat me. And um, another one was annulled. It wasn't even real. It was after I'd given up my first son and I just wasn't in reality. I had broken and I didn't care about anything. And I'm so gonna, then, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna pause you again. Sorry to do that. And um, we got another call. We have another caller on the line. And I want to get back to the this part of the story after this call. But I'd like to take the call if you're okay with that. I'm great with that. Okay, one minute. Hi, caller. You're on the line with Jody Doty and Marion Stent-Evans. Uh, do you have a question for Marion or want to share something? I just wanted to say thank you. It's Alana, and I heard Dave's call earlier, and I wanted to just say thank you for being such an encouragement to me along my journey as well with my new book. So because a lot of people doubted me, and even though, and you were one of the ones from the beginning that read the book and supported it and put a review up and did all that stuff to help me succeed. So I just want to say thank you. Are you there, Mary? Well, Alana, yeah, Alana, yeah, I, want to, I want to say thank you for IMing the whole time you were writing on that book. It was so much encouragement for me to see oh, a young you. girl like you with your abuse to overcome it, and it took me so long. What what an encore, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Great. If, if people, um, <laughs> if uh, listeners aren't aware, Alana has a, a, Alana, tell us the name of your book and how people can find it. My book is called The Newfound Legacy. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble Supply Lineup, which means you can order it on their website or in-store, and they'll pick it up. And, um, Hopefully, we'll be in bookstores, more bookstores, and it's also on Kindle. And it's Alana's story of overcoming uh, um, child sexual abuse and um, the death of a parent at an early age and uh, bullying and so many other really challenging things. Um, and Alana's 18 now. She wrote this at 17, but um, you know these two gals, and we have the we have the young version and the older version. Um, just are a testament that you can get through the most horrible things and be an inspiration and survive it and be an inspiration to other people and encourage them to, uh, you know, to get through it and not let it break your spirit. Absolutely. Thank you you so much for calling in, Alana. I want to say Alana is... uh, why waste your life like I did through temporary? I always left when I got physical at three years, right? Alana is way ahead of me in breaking that cycle. She has nothing but to store from now on. Oh, thank Amen. you. <laughs> Amen. All righty. Well, um, thanks for calling, Alana, and just keep soaring. I know you will. <laughs> Yeah. I'm right there week. with you watching you do it. I know you guys are keeping it secret. Yeah. What? Well, 
What? (laughs) (laughs) We'll share in a little while. (laughs) I know you will when the time is right. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Bye Bye now. Okay. Yeah, I think that's such a kick that she called in, and and you know. You're, you know, two of my favorite people, and and again, really, and I'm, and I'm serious. I don't, I don't say this lightly. Um, how amazing that you come from, from nearly being killed, both of you, basically nearly being killed, and and not letting it break your spirit, letting, you know, finding within, you know, the courage within. And the strength within and the power within yourself to kind of overcome, you know, the worst and make the best of yourself. I mean, that's what we all need to do. But, but you know, some of us don't have to, don't have these, um, these tough lessons, but I think in a lot of ways they grow your soul even more. Well, um, I volunteer for the village community services for many years now in the music department and the clients are with disabilities. So if you want to think you have a problem, just go to one of their functions and see how happy they are and how much they live life. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, so let's get back to your story. <laughs> okay, well, you know, after <laughs> after being abused and then temporary marriages, um, I was with uh, Howard, with the only one who didn't beat me. Um, he was the keyboard player, and Billy was on drums, and Ed Gibson on sax, and he's a couple months older than me and was up visiting a couple years ago and is gigging on and having a great time. What's and, the name of, uh, what was the name of his band? Tollway Zone. Tollway Zone. That, that, right. Then he was Burgundy and Black Pearl, and he ended, uh, before he died, he was with the San Francisco Symphony. Wow. Yeah, so I got to meet a lot of, um, uh, well, all the greats that played at the Fairmont would come down and do after hours in Fremont. So, uh, you know, I got to meet Santana's conga player that was set (laughs) in with the guy. I mean, Jack Jones, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, they fronted. Then they got in. They were house band at the Red Coach. And... um, I don't know, he just, um, he is my one true love because he loved me unconditionally when I had a colostomy. And, you know, um, a lot of men that would have just said, well, see you later. Yeah. And But it was only for three months. But so when I first got it and I was in the hospital and then, and we had taken a theater class together at Berkeley years before, him and Linda and I, so... We stayed in contact and had vacations together um, up at the same time next year type of thing. Uh, Very honorable, but we just enjoyed each other's company. And my mom, well, we came up here to visit early in 75, and my dad had died in 70, and my sister said, well, Mama can come out and live in the world. She was at Delta Rehab Center in Snohomish then and working feeding and cooking in the kitchen and stuff. Beautiful mm-hmm. ceramic. Oh yeah, she she had quite she enjoyed her life quite the most but but she had the safety that my father could not get to her. Once he right. died that fear disappeared. I understand that. I now understand that and it freed her. 
And so my sister and Howard and I said we'd come up and visit it and taken Mama camping, and Mama fell in love with him immediately. And we said, sure, she can come down here and live with us. Not a problem. Well, my sister wouldn't allow it. And my mom lived with her and her husband because they'd been part of the problem back in 1953. So I was it. So yeah. Howard understood I needed to heal that with my mother more than love him daily, that we would always have our love. No one could take it from us or our connection. And they never did. And I came up and gave my mom a life. And that was the most... She lived to a week less than a 91. Wow. And the last thing I did was crawl in bed with her the day that she was dying and told her, Mama, it's okay if you go. You don't have to wait for me anymore. I'm okay. Wow. And that, that I will always treasure because I always love sleep. And the way that the picture shows, the way that she's comforting me. What a mom. What a mom. What a wonderful mom. That gave me lessons that would have never known if she'd have been around every day. I had no one to rebel against. It was great. (laughs) You only had you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and my foster mom said you were always joining everything, looking for something, and I finally realized I was looking for myself. Absolutely. And for one... I finally found it, you know, and, yeah, I'm not um, an advocate for the court system or the domestic violence law, and, yes, I am going to change that. And, uh, I I mean, if you can protect an animal before you can protect a woman with harder laws, I'm sorry, your system is broke. Absolutely. Talk about that. Talk about what happened with the... with the court system and and, uh, your experience with the release? Well, it took uh, seven times of him being arrested and in jail, which is not free, probation, counseling, classes, cost me over $100,000 to help this man. He did not get jail time till the seventh time. Well, no, I'm sorry. On the sixth time, he got six weeks at four, which is a campus jail. He missed, he told friends of mine, that he missed the guys in there. They were a lot of fun after he was locked up the last time. Then, oh, then the last time, yes, he, I was, it was two and a half hours of smothering and passing out, and my face will be scarred the rest of my life. And, yes, it took me two months to heal. But he was in jail since December 22nd, and on March 6th, I had all my paperwork, everything filed, and he got served divorce papers because he was going to go for a jury trial on March 15th, and I had been subpoenaed. Uh-huh. And so my we had offered him 180 days, five-year protection order, and probation. He refused and said, time served, 120 days, free ticket out. We said, no, we'll go to jury. He got my divorce papers and decided to let the judge sentence him, which sentenced him to 364 days in the Snohomish County Jail, not the campus jail. And But if she sent him one more time, he would have went, went to state jail. Yeah. So she did him a favor there. 
okay? He got out after 118 days because the jail was too crowded, and it was just for beating a woman. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Attempted murder is attempted murder. I don't care what gender you are, what relationship you have. The facts speak for themselves. And I have written the attorney general, the governor, and I am just getting started. Wow. I want and that law to be the same as a felony. If three strikes, you're out. Or first time, if it's physical. Because there's a lot of grooming, like a pedophile, when exactly. they're mentally, emotionally, verbally abusing you and programming you to take the physical abuse and not leave them to believe their, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, baloney. And and, and so many women stay in that. I mean, so so many women, because they're so beat down, they, you know, or they have nowhere else to go, they'll believe that and they'll just, they'll they'll stay. I, the last year when he was in jail in 2014 with the domestic violence people, I made a exit plan. I can say it now because it no longer applies. But for since then, I have told no. I, during that time, I told no one. That exit plan was to get about a half a block to three-quarter block from my apartment to the fire station in a locked facility. I had a flip phone for that purpose only with that number, uh, phone number, I didn't have a name, I didn't know who, and I'd call that number, and they would come to the fire station, show identification, pick me up, take me to a shelter or safe house. I was willing to walk out with the clothes on my back and save my life. You do not go to heaven with anything that you have. You go to heaven with your soul and your heart and your mind. Amen. And I... You know, I mean, and I, I will, I'm sad. I don't need material. I'm not a material girl. Yeah. I just have never been because it's never been, I've never been entitled to it. I had to buy my own school clothes. I had to take care of myself from a very young age. And I know you and, worked, like you said, you, you had to support yourself really from the time you were, you know, seven. Oh, really. I, I, I worked, uh, well, five years at PNB. I was cocktail waitress, food waitress, bartender on the side, and then I worked at PNB for five years in California, Pacific Northwest Bell, the phone company. And yeah. they had they had what was called, well, the long cord boards. I worked them. I'm an old-timer. And they had... <laughs> Um, the first computerized one was called TSPS, so I chose to do that instead of be an in-charge. And when I did that, was really good. I left and moved to Washington, and I didn't want to drive to Seattle every day from Linwood, so I applied at GTE. Well, I started out as operator and then went to Peg Count, where I did measurement studies and Flew out every other week in our Learjet to five different states, given the operators their standard work time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I worked in supply. I worked in the main supply, the satellite supply. Um, all of that gave me great tools. One served the other. Well, they found out I had worked. GTE was getting that PSPS equipment going from the old cord board and computerizing. 
they found out I had actually worked it. So they obviously would like like to get cited as an instructor. Sure. They didn't tell me it was in Beaverton, Oregon. Down in Oregon. Yeah, and so um, my daughter and I ended up moving down there, and I, well, we were there eight years, so about 78, 79, we moved down there, and I was instructor and in charge. I worked at Mount St. Helens. When it blew up, I was in charge on the desk, boy, and I was there from till midnight that night from wow. 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight once I was working. 6 to 2.30, but the phone company is like a utility. Everyone is called in, every position. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, you know, and we had mounds of ash. In fact, I just gave my last one to Travis's dad because in one of his sermons he mentioned the force of that mountain was seven times the amount of the Hiroshima bomb. Yeah, and we amazing. felt it. You know, it was I- closer to our office than it was to any major city in Washington. Holy cow. I yeah, yeah we, I actually drove yeah. through we drove through um not not right after the initial one but but then they had some afterwards with the ash and whatnot and, and Oh yeah, they had had, uh, buildings high. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I had walked to work that day cuz it was really nice out. And my daughter was 16, and I called immediately when I knew it blew. I called her, and she had her boyfriend coming over. And I said, go in my drawer and get a pair of nylons, cut them up, put them over the carburetor, and have him put it over the carburetor, and you kids don't go anyplace today. Right. Ruined so many cars. But, and I re- oh, that's yeah. one, of the, one of the scariest times in my life because I was um, – um, I was pregnant at the time, but but we were coming back from a wedding, and we actually had to drive through coming from Idaho back up here to Washington, and we could not see, but my my father and I couldn't see, but maybe a yard in front of him for the, with the ash oh, because it's like it's like uh, white. I mean, it's just like a whiteout, like powder. a blizzard. It's a powder. It's so fine. I mean, it literally got into our. He medically sealed windows and into our central office and messed with our equipment. It's so fine. That was just, uh, well, see, you have things just um, exploding all around you, always. (laughs) (laughs) Always big things happening. In fact, while you were talking, I heard a transformer blow somewhere by me, and the wind is picking up right here. So I was like, oh, good, we still have the phone line, because I was really afraid we are going to lose power. But it was right about the (laughs) time. It was right about the time you were saying the mountain blew, so I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like sound effects. (laughs) Yeah, 1980 to now, and then let's see, let's see. Uh, Then I, I, I was in my house, let's see, for 16 years, and then I moved to Florida. I was only going to stay a year. The kids came down and visited me on Easter for three weeks, and and I ended up staying three mar- three years. And, and when I told my ex, uh, we had just been, you know, I, I didn't think it was nothing serious. I mean, he'd asked me to marry, but I thought it was a joke. I'd been single for 20 years. I was never one to parade men in front of my daughter or my grandchildren. My oh. home was my castle. And unless oh. I married you, you did not ha- you didn't get invited to the family. You didn't get introduced. Right. 
I I had friendships, but they were friendships. And I started counseling at age 40 because it it just got too painful. It physically got what Dave said when when he was on Kelly's show, he said her immune system rebooted. Oh my god, that is so true. That is so true. There is nothing wrong with me where I was very serious at the time. Yeah. I was I was ready to say goodbye physically. I was very serious, having serious problems from the stress. Once the stress is gone, I don't have any physical problems. What a deal. So That's how what, did you come out of that? What what was it? What helped to to bring you out of that dark place? Well, there was I he knew when he came back in 2014, I tried every mission, every shelter, everything, me and his attorney. I did not want him to come home. I'd already sent the wedding ring to his daughter, his granddaughter, for her 13th birthday, because I give my girls a diamond ring on their 13th birthday, always have. Uh-huh. And um, I want, I, I, because they're the diamond of my eye, and so uh, I sent it. I didn't have any money, so I sent her my wedding ring because I was pretty much done. I've been a caretaker. He had diabetes. I've been his caretaker for a long time. Once I, He was a perfect gentleman. I saw morals, integrity. I saw everything of that in him. He can do it. He don't right. do it to me. Once I signed that marriage license, it immediately started to change. <sighs> he called me his dead wife's name. He forgot my name. Wow. And I told him, I said, I was never your bride. I was never your wife. You know, I've only been your friend. It started out that I met him to pay his dad and mom's house taxes. And I had, you know, so I did that and thought nothing of it. Fine. You know, God's always taking care of me. I certainly wouldn't want an elderly couple... They did a reverse mortgage anyway, but... So you were paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to get a new computer, right? And I thought, right. well, that's rather selfish of me when somebody's not going to have a home. I mean, I just don't have the heart for that. I'm, oh. Money to me, money can pass through my... I, I'm just not a material girl. Yeah. I'm just not. I don't. I like simple. You're you know? a you're a heart you're a heart woman. You you're all yep. about the heart and the soul. Yep. And and um, he had gotten one day he was he liked to rage at me, you know, and and I went to counseling two years before he did uh, to the one he ended up going to by court order, and he would take it out on me every time I went because. He thought we were talking about him. Well, no, he, we were talking about me. And how do you handle it? Do you engage in an argument? What's the thing you would say if I said this? Right. And I, you know, and so I got to learn not to take it personal. And mm-hmm. it really wasn't about me. He was fighting with his demons himself. And uh, he needed an audience, and I chose not to attend. There and, you go. And that was pretty simple, and that's how come I started my quote page and sharing your poems and stuff on my quote page, how I got to know you. Yep, and I remember that, yep. 
that's how I got to know you. You know, so I just stay busy on the quotes, reading positive affirmations, looking at beautiful pictures, keeping my mind, um, you know, clean, thoughtful. Absolutely. In the moment. In the moment. My in the moment. Book. And that's the key, you know, not to, not to, you know, start from today. I always say that. Be home to you. Start from Start from this moment. You know, you're the sum of everything that's happened, but you're not the vi- you, you can't don't have to be the victim of everything that happened. You take what you've what you've been through, put it <laughs> put it in a big old tear in your case and release it and then just live from this moment and live to the yeah. hilt, which is what you're doing. Um I know when you were talking about you were in the band, you also are, you know, not only are you writing you wrote a, a chapter for this um, book, The Journey from Surviving to Thriving. Frankly, there's a lot of us that really believe you should just write. And, and I think maybe you are writing your life story. You really need to do this. It's such, you know, it, it will have such an impact on so many people. But also you are a poet and you, you're a lyricist. You've written music. I know you talked about your time with the band. Can you talk about that? And also, I, I do want you to share, after you talk about that, I do want you to share your um, your poem we talked about, um, about okay. the domestic well, violence. And, and there you go. There, there uh, We had an old, what I called the Caterpillar, because he had an old uh, Pontiac station wagon that the Leslie would fit in and um, big uh, organ, and so we had the hardest load, and, um, the, you know, got in the drums, and so my daughter, she was, what, about eight, nine, and we'd go in during the daytime to set up, right? Yeah. Because at the house band, on the weekends when they would play after hours, they would uh, dismantle. And then we would go in on Monday and set up. Well, uh, it was usually when she got out of school. So we let her carry in the bags of the cords and the stuff she couldn't break, right? Right. (laughs) And, you know, and it was a restaurant, a really nice restaurant bar. And so kids could uh, be in the restaurant part, right? And, And so she'd be carrying, we'd be setting in, and they'd go, who's? who's this kid in here? And she goes, I'm with the band. So we, that was before they were making up T-shirts. So we had, on, we had a T-shirt I made for her that she had to wear every time we loaded was uh, the uh, roadies. <laughs> she goes, I, on the front was, I'm with the band. I'm a roadie. And on the back was always own. And so nobody asked her after that. But And a friend of ours, Fred, he was uh, extra in a lot of movies. So I got to go to a lot of movie sets. The Towering Inferno up at the top of the California building. Wow. Uh, he's gone to up there, the Carnelian Room. It's like the guys have to wear suits and ties. And the ladies' menu doesn't have prices on them. And yeah. got to go to plays and... and uh, then um, he couldn't go, but I had my pet. He got me a pass, and I got to go up. I got Susan off to school and was going out the door, and a friend of mine came up, and he said, where are you going? I said, Victorville. And uh, he goes, I want to go. And I said, you don't have a pass. And they had it all roped off, you know, with the police. And right. so I, we get up there, and I get up right before 
their lunchtime at the stand got decided that they were filming in the church, the Klansman with Lee Marvin, Elizabeth Taylor, and Richard Burton scene. And I was wow. beating a, gri- a grip, you know, up on top, mm-hmm. a microphone grip, up in the balcony. And so I stood along the side of the church door, and out they came. The limousines came and lined up. And so he came out, saw me, he goes, come on, get in the car. And I got in the limo and drove off and went up to the ranch and had lunch with them all. And uh, we came back after two hours, and and I told him, I said, I got a friend over there. So I motioned to him, showed my badge to the policeman, and I motioned to him, and he said, okay, he could come. And so I told him, be quiet as a mouse. You cannot say anything. And <laughs> in, between, in between breaks, you know, the guy was kind of coming on to me. Well, you should come up for dinner and just spend it. I said, no, I got my daughter in school. I have to go home. And so my <laughs> friend was going, he's coming on to you. And I go, well, I'm in my 20s, so what? So, yeah, so I came home from, so I got to see a lot of that, and I met uh, uh, James Caan, (laughs) it was Fred's scene, he was one of the firemen standing along the building as James Caan was running by, and that's when he looked good, and... (laughs) I, mean, I, I know bef- <laughs> before the show I know you told me a, a story that uh, about um uh, one of my favorites uh, Chris Christopherson too for you know oh, that was the- when I was married when that marriage was annulled he was 13 younger 13 years younger than me so wow. we had tickets at the fair the front row seats so I went in and said okay hold these seats right in front I got to go to the bathroom well, I'd already checked out where the bus was, and we'd walked around and where he couldn't see me. So I just went out and was talking to the roadies, and Chris came out of the van, and he goes, oh, there she is. And I went, not what you think. I just want to tell you, I think you're a prolific writer, and I love your lyrics coming down Sunday morning. I mean, you are a fantastic writer. And he goes, well, come on, little lady, come on in. And I said, uh, well, okay, but uh, I'm just coming in. And he laughed. He goes, don't worry, I won't hurt you. And I said, that's what all you guys say. And so I went <laughs> in. And I, and I went in, and we had a, a shot of, I don't know what it, it was, some kind of mood bourbon. I know that, right? And we talked for like 15 minutes, and then I, I go, you got to get to your gig. You're going to be late. And he goes, you sound like an old, a musician, old lady. And <laughs> so I went out and went back in, and I had a tic-tac in my pocket, you know, and and I threw it in my mouth and sat down next to my husband, and he looked at me. He goes, what took so long? I said, oh, there was a line at the bathroom. And... Uh, <laughs> I said, you know how women are. They take their time. And uh, <laughs> then he goes, smells like you've been drinking. And I know I don't drink. And so because of my stomach issues, I can't. I said, you smell Tic Tac. You don't, what? Yeah. Where are you going, right? And so during the performance, Chris blew it because he looked right. I was in the front row. He goes, there's one little lady that can take a shot. And my husband looked at, straight at me like, Church, and I said, and I looked around like, who is he talking about? Like, he wouldn't be talking about me. 
And Chris just cracked up on stage like, ah, you're with your old man. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been on Clint Black, Charlie Daniels, sat in, uh, with B.B. King. It was wonderful back in the 70s. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Look at all the, I mean, you've, you have lived more life than, you know, 10 people. I mean, really. I, I'm, I'm like a cat. I'm in my ninth life, I think, and I finally come into my own. You definitely have. I want you to. I want you to share your poem. Um, I know that. I know too that you write. You've written lyrics and lyrics for the band, and that you know um, you're just a really wonderful writer. But I think this is a very touching um, uh, piece, and I um, would love you love you if you if you would like to to be able to share that on the show. Okay, uh, I wrote, and this is in the book, and also for domestic violence. What I read at the end. There is no more cry left. There is relief and joy. There is peace of mind. There is lack of stress. There is hope. No one can steal my soul. God protects me and loves me. I pray I learned a lesson this life holds. I have put a lot of living into seven decades. I plan to live in the moment and to be to the very end of life on this earth. I am an enabler. I will give you enough rope to hang yourself all the time thinking I'm being understanding and having empathy to your needs and your conditions all the time hurting myself because I forget me. When you have no more to give, you are empty. You don't want to be more alone with someone than without them in your life. You think about the woman you want to be in your life. You want to... You want and make it happen. You are a woman. You can do it. Look at all you have endured and survived, and now it's time to thrive in whatever that means to you. Find yourself. This experience has changed you. At what it taught you, and jump for joy. You don't have to be hurt anymore. You can be anything you want. I feel contented, joy, grateful, and blessed. It was worth all the effort and time to be free. What do you think of this newfound freedom? Contentment. My new adventure is the excitement of rediscovering myself and life again. I have healed and moved on and looking forward to this new chapter. Wow. I just love that. That's fabulous. And how and and just watching you, you know, I know I how how long was it has it been that we um that we first connected, but I've just seen you um soar your soul so much in a short time oh i well i did i did go through a couple months of nightmares um it did have an effect on me that i had to work through i did have a 22 hour meltdown when he got released after 118 days right you know and i I contacted you immediately to help me get through that so i will use whatever tools i can to keep me whole and to work through it. This is life is a, is is full of life. I don't want to miss it. <laughs> you know, I just, absolutely, absolutely. I so, what's the next chapter? <laughs> um, the next chapter is um, I am going to focus on uh, the poetry book and getting it finished because I have it all written. Just have to do the picture thing, and then um, I'm going to. Um, do the autobiography, but I know I'm going to need a ghostwriter on that because of all the stories. Um, a right. lot of the, the lyrics that 
I wrote, uh, I've turned into poems, um, like when you're feeling down or um, let me love or two that he did. My signature song is If I Bread. And every time I walked in on the gig, the guys would play it for me. Every time my daughter came to the gig at a new opening or something where she could sit and hear the music, they would play Susie Q. So, uh, I know, know you have a fondness for Tinkerbell, too. Oh, I do. Yes, I'm the little orphan fairy that just likes to sparkle. <laughs> and did you get your tattoo? No, I didn't. I asked. I asked. I got my flu shot, and I had the pharmacist. I said, "Look at my old skin." The grandkids want me to get my tattoo, and I said, "I think my skin's too old for that." And he found a spot behind my ear, and I said, "I think that will hurt." And so, no, I didn't. No, you've no, had I enough don't. pain. You don't need that. I don't. I, yeah, I'll get one of the fake ones when I want to put on there. But um, I do want to thank. Um, first of order of gratitude goes to who believed in me and encouraged me to write, which is you. Uh-huh. And thank thank you to Lisa Evans. Um, she was the one person who stood behind me. And um, on a personal level, you know, she's my friend. But the fact that she never gave up on me, uh, I was never alone. And I could confide in her, and she would give me straight-up honest advice for my own good, And um, even if I didn't like hearing it. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. And, and between you and her and my family, everyone has me and so happy for me to finally be free, you know, but this time, the 118 days he was in gave me time to get the divorce and the protection order, so that's what I needed to do, but I had to wait until he was ready, he was ready. but the last year he was here, we were roommates, yeah, strictly roommates. you know, so I had to break that tie, you know, and he asked me. One day after the counselor, he goes, Marion, do you love me? And I said, you know, I am your friend, and I will take care of you, but you pushed me so far away, I don't think I can ever come back to you. You know, yeah. he had a pornography issue. He had, I was fine. He lied to me constantly. I don't need right. that. But no. it's very scary getting out at the end. But. Ladies, yeah. What, what advice? Yeah, give advice. What What would you tell someone who's? I I actually have experienced this with um some in, with a, uh, you know, with some relatives, and I know how scary it is. Um, what is your uh, advice? Stay quiet. Don't engage in arguments. Don't take things personally. Uh, set your plan in motion, and um, if he's not beating you yet is verbally, mentally, emotionally abusing you, he will beat you. Mm-hmm. He will get to the point that he has no impulse control and you will be injured or killed. So whatever you have to do, stay calm, stay in control of yourself. Only you can change yourself. You can't change anyone else. And learn how you deal with it. Don't take it personal. Stay quiet. Don't engage in arguments. And, have and I know. To... I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
and have a plan together. And if you can uh, somehow wiggle the way into getting a part-time job so you have financial assistance or call one of the helplines, they will give you um, opportunities that you, you don't realize is at your access. I want to broadcast what the domestic violence people and the shelters can do for women with children or without children. Women are of value. Amen. And that just for the for any listeners that um, this really resonates and hits home to you, I do want to give the uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline number. It is 1-800-799-SAFE. So that is 1-800-799-7233. And it's, uh, you know, 24-7 confidential support. You know, you don't, um, there's help out there. There's help. And uh, any last words, any any um, last thoughts or things you would like to share with the uh, with the listeners? Well, uh, if I can do it at 7071, you can do it. And I can tell you it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I have only positive things to look forward to. I don't, I don't feel any stress at all. I, it's just so wonderful to get to know myself again. Sometimes I surprise myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're fabulous. You're just well, like I said, you're you're fearless, you're enthusiastic, you're outspoken, you're sassy, and you're fabulous. And I just I just adore you, Marion. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to do. You know, t- picking up this cause, dealing with the courts, um, trying to get something shifted, get the awareness out, and then just personally, you know, I'm watching your star shine. You know, you're just. Um, you know, you are Tinkerbell. You're sparkling all over the place. And thank, thank you so much for being on the show. I thank you for inviting me. You have a good day. Okay, on that note, have a great day on this journey called life. <laughs>